The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm excited to welcome Tim Clover, who is the CEO and founder of Glow. Glow is based in Australia. Welcome, Tim, to the podcast. G'day. As I say down here. Yeah, thank you. But you're not originally from Australia, though, right? No, that's right. um, I'm an import. I've come from the UK. I've been here about 10 years. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about Glow, and then I'm going to take you back and talk a little bit about how you got to the point of founding Glow, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Glow is an online research platform. So people compare us often with a sort of a survey monkey on steroids or a Qualtrics light, but we sort of see it as a lot more than that. It's not just about creating surveys, it's about the whole workflow for research. Got it. Okay. And starting a company is a major endeavor. Second time lucky, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us how you got here. Give us a little bit of background and what, you know, ultimately led you to found Glow. Yeah, sure. So a uh, bit of a geek, I suppose, as a kid, into my engineering, how things work, like sort of picking things apart. I think that's the biggest compliment when somebody says I'm a geek. Yeah, I, it is these days. It wasn't 20 years ago. Not then. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> suddenly it's cool. If you like data and you understand it, suddenly you're, uh, it's worth something. But when you're a kid, it's not so cool. Yeah, so I was always into sort of how things worked and actually started the first business after university, so the engineering degree. Started a company that was um, trying to use Excel macros to standardize processes and do things like process mapping and things like that, which I ran for a couple of years, but didn't go so well. I, I was trying to work out how to create channels into different markets. Managed to earn enough to pay the rent and eat, but needed a bit more life experience and company experience. Ended up working for a company in the UK doing business simulations, so continuous simulation work, which is quite involved from a mathematical perspective, but working with organizations, looking at projecting the future and taking lots of different data sets and joining them together. So a lot of the skills I've had from the past around visual basic and yeah, the sort of ETL of data and joining it and presenting it come in useful. And then a a friend of mine had um, gone to work for a, a little company called PwC and he was there and he said, he called me one day and said, look, we need someone with your skills here. Do you want to, there's, there's a role here you should apply for. And I applied and I, uh, I got the job. I absolutely hated it from the first. I landed. Oh, that's terrible. Well, it, it got better. But the first day I was, I just sat there. I was looking around thinking, why am I here? Because I really didn't fit the mold. The mold was generally very academically, very, very smart people. Not so much thinking outside the box. Quite, I suppose, obviously a lot of finance and accounting. And I was put into a role where I was looking at financial models and trying to evaluate them and break them. And the, you know, people would the big transaction, deal transactions that we were looking at, you know, company A buying company B and looking at the forecasts and financials and everyone else, what we'd be doing was looking through the, the formulae to look for issues and make recommendations. I was just transfixed 
with the assumptions that are in these models. I was trying to say, well, why do we think it's 0.8 rather than 0.7? Where does that come from? What's the, the analysis that's gone into that? And I was really interested in, I guess, the sensitivities around those assumptions and how that all worked. And in doing that, I think that brought the sort of system engineer in me through. I was, I was looking and saying, where do people get this information from? Where does that data come from that, that feeds all these assumptions? And that sort of, from PwC perspective, pushed my career into much more of an operational modeling team where we were looking at pulling data from operations, from HR, from customer data, and starting to put it together to tell stories, which really pushed me into a more of a storytelling role and dealing with much more senior people in the organizations to challenge and help them form assumptions. So that made me somewhat, I suppose, famous, I suppose, for that at PwC in, in London. And then in Australia, they were trying to do a similar thing. They were trying to build out their team when it came to data analytics from an operational perspective. And um, I just got married actually in 2009 and I spent a lot of time traveling around Europe working on projects. And my wife, Louise, uh, I said, PwC are looking for someone in, in Sydney. Do you want to move to Sydney? And she said, yes. I think I hadn't finished. I'm not sure I'd finished speaking. And she said, yes. Yeah, she's like, yes, let's go. <laughs> let's go. And, uh, and I've not been to Australia. So when we moved here, my, when I stepped off the plane, it was the first time here. We were going to be here for a couple of years, but we loved it and, and stayed. So ended up being in Melbourne. So the opportunity for us with PwC to build a team from scratch, Melbourne was the place to be. And that was where the growth was. And we had a really good time. So for a few years, worked with PwC team, developed the team, built it out. By the time I left, there were about 20, 25 people on the team uh, working with great clients in, uh, in Australia. That's a startup in itself as well. I mean, you have the comfort of the brand, a little bit of security, the backing, but, you know, starting from scratch, uh, hiring people, getting new clients, it's a little, there's entrepreneurial spirit there. There is. What I found is, as I moved through the organization, dealing with different levels of politics and organization, like PwC, it's not particularly a political organization, it's a great place to work. But for someone like myself, where I tend to move fast and break things, I found myself butting up with partners on certain topics and found it hard sometimes to bite my tongue, which is um, typical of me. But uh, in working through that, I um, built a pretty good team. We had some really good, there's a good leadership team to, uh, working across Australia and working on some really great projects and also across APAC. And again, I'd seen, I'd been doing a lot of work with retailers. And this was interesting because retail is one of the industries everyone's got an opinion about because we all participate Coles were going through the transformation and we were trying to help them pull together all these data sets. And the difficult data to get hands on was often customer data. It was taking too long to get to the exec. We couldn't compile it quickly enough. And I, I suppose being a tinkerer and liking to solve problems quickly, just looking around and saying, well, we've got millions of customers here. We've got one of the highest uptakes of, of smartphones. We've got, yeah, the internet is uh, 4G readily available to everyone. I'm sure there's got to be a better way of capturing some of this information. So Glow as a, as a concept was born of, I think, a bit of a gap in the ability to reach consumers and finding a way that companies could tap into their customers more quickly, directly. We could see that there were survey platforms out there, but we'd never, when we started Glow, we weren't thinking of it as a survey platform. We were just thinking of trying to close the gap in hard-to-reach places. So trying to work out how we could create experiences for customers that they want to engage with. So Glow was born. Took my boss... Wait, was it hard to make that decision or no? Was it, you know, here you were in a comfortable job, you know, intellectually challenged, I bet, like just interesting, lots of data, collaboration, and then you decide to 
start Glow. Tell me a little bit about that decision. Yeah, my career was at a crossroads. So I was either going to press on and move towards partnership at PwC. So I was going to move on. In fact, I'd been pulled into the partnership development program. And I really sort of looked at myself and thought, well, in 20 years' time, when I look back at what I've been able to achieve and the change I've been able to, or the impact I've been able to make, do I think that being at PwC, I'm going to be able to take what I can do and what I can teach people um, to have the impact that um, I think data can have? Or do I think that staying at PwC will work with great clients, but it's only really accessible by the top end of the market? Or I can move and take a risk and you know, we had some savings. We went to Louise and said, like, you know, hey, I've got a great career and I'm being invited to think about the partnership and I'm going to throw all that away and start, start a business. And, and here we are seven years later, you know, an overnight success. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it is like that. When you start a business, you have to weigh up personal risk. It's not right for everyone. There's some you know, incredible highs, but the lows are just as incredible. Um, there's been some fantastic times and tough times through the last seven years and starting it you just need to realize that the journey that the path will be hard and if you're not absolutely focused and completely determined then it's it's you're going to find the ride pretty yeah, rough i completely agree with you and i i have talked to other entrepreneurs and you know myself included that i do think that having that support system is huge that you're not fighting against yeah you know, as it is you're fighting to i don't know it depends on your worldview but you fight against the fact that there's no option to fail right? There's only success. And then, you know, it's nice to have a partner that supports you versus saying, wait, why are you doing that? That's crazy. That's nuts. And that, I think that makes a huge difference because you're in it together then. Yeah, that's right. We, and Louise has been fantastic. She's very different from me. So tell me, you started Glow. Were, were you the only founder or did you have partners when you started Glow? So I founded Glow on my own. I engaged a CTO. So we hired a, a guy to help us build out the stack and we then recruited a team of developers. So for the first, I'd say for the first two or three years, it was really just myself and half a dozen developers, which is an interesting environment. I mean, I, yeah, having come from this structured thing called PwC to this completely unstructured place where yeah, developers are great. They think very differently. They act very differently. The engagement's completely different. And I think once it took me a little while to adjust to that, but having adjusted to it, it's, um, it's fantastic, the relationship that we have with developers. And I think, again, as you go through the journey of starting a business, you work with so many different types of people that you won't have had exposure to before. Um, the learning is huge. So we started, um, we started building out the, the, the stack. We, we started with a consumer mobile experience and built what is probably best in class when it comes to consumer survey experience. It's extremely slick. slick. It was designed for mobile first, desktop second, you know, our penetration rate of research, given that we're mostly online research is um, it's over 50% mobile and mobile and iPad or tablet device, which is higher than you would. If you'd spoke to most panel companies, they'd say it was about maybe 20 or 30%. So we're over indexed from that perspective, which means we're cutting through the population better, I think. The speed through which we can capture a lot of data from our respondents is, is the speed is high and the quality is really good and the completion rates are high. So we built this tech at the front that was just marvelous. And I guess what we were able to do with a lot of our first clients and Target was our first client and our, our second client was some major liquor, liquor store. And these guys were trying to solve problems where they had questions about customers where their existing customer feedback program wouldn't answer those sorts of questions. 
you know, they needed to find someone in store who was at, at Shelf thinking about something and we innovated all sorts of cool ways of trying to engage the customer, like stickers saying, stickers on products and on Shelf saying, go to this link and do this. and, and Yeah, text in or something, yeah. And win a year's worth of X or win some rewards or whatever. So trying to engage them at point of sale and get some fantastic results with that. I think one of our confectionery manufacturers launched a new chocolate bar and got a couple of thousand responses in three weeks through... Um, through this, these techniques we were using. So we were at first we were about getting data from difficult to reach places and we were using that, leveraging that tech to win contracts to, to fund growth in the business. And in the background, investing more heavily in the ability to then to write the surveys ourselves. Because at first, so you can imagine at the front, you have this beautiful survey in the back, it's just mayhem. You know, you've got SQL servers and people jumping in and playing with databases and it's all just a bit of a... So eventually you build the interface with that and uh, give yourself the control of the, of the metadata behind the survey, which we, which we did. And that allowed us to release about three years ago, the first version of Glow that you could log in. And so our clients could log in, they could look at their account, they could see the surveys that were running, they could change some of the questions. Still pretty rudimentary surveys, but again, we're trying to reach, it wasn't then about you know, complex matrix questions and max diff and things like that. It was about, I just need to find someone who's returning an item and find out why and find out a bit more information to help make a decision around what we're going to do with suppliers or is it an issue with our puzzle? Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Do you have, as part of your platform engaged respondents that have opted into your platform. Okay. So when you have a client, let's say we're talking about, you know, a chocolate manufacturer that wants to understand at point of sale or at the shopping at the in store, your platform, your approach allows you to find those people in a unique way, have them opt into your platform and connects that to the customer. Is that wrong? I think when we were, so we were working with people like Schweppes who were trying to do that. So they'd launch a product and say, it's not selling as well as we want. How do we engage people to find out why? So we would use things like the stickers at that time. Um, but then what happened, this is an interesting, interesting segue to the next part of Glow. So, so I didn't come from research, just to clarify, um, basically an imposter because you know, I was more of an insights guy and was more interested to see the data used. So when I came into research, it, wasn't, it was never really about research itself. It was about trying to get data. So getting answers, that's right. And I think it was actually Schweppes who said, look, we'd like to do some market research. Can we use an online panel? And I was, this is three years ago. And I said, well, what's, what's an online panel? And they said, um, well, there are these things. You know, there's people like Donator and Sin and you know, there's, other, there's guys out there you can go and buy responses from. And I, and I, I was like, what is this magic that you speak of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and looked into it, find out how it might work. And originally spoke to Dynator and said, look, we've got a client, we've got a platform that does this. 
they want to be able to plug, pull some respondents through looking at nationally representative sample. Can you help? I said, yeah, you pay per response. This is what we can do. We need the links to redirect back in this way to our panel. And it took about two hours, I think, to have the whole thing working. And it worked beautifully, like so much so that the whole platform, everything we built, which... So our, our technology layer takes you from building a survey to being able to create links to get responses to then analyzing the data online. So you can do the whole thing in one sort of... It's one suite from a project management perspective for online research. And the bit in the middle is the bit that's quite hard. So getting the responses, engaging people at the right time for the response is hard. But once we close that gap with the panel companies, and we then went on to build a really great interface through APIs with providers, which means that you can now go and target a zip code level, or you can target that rep, and you can say, you know, let's say it's going to be two bucks a response, and you say, yeah, great, go. And you buy it like you're buying Facebook ads. You go, right, here's a channel. I want to go and hit these people and these people and these people and turn this one off whenever you want. You pay just for the responses you get. There's no project management fees and all this sort of things, all those bits of the experience that were really hard. We've just made really easy. And yeah, so the big, I think the big change for us from a business model perspective, and also in terms of our technology, was that piece that allowed us to integrate the panels. Because we went from being a, a, you know, a bootstrapped, pretty much a bootstrap project delivery business. So we had to do the projects because you can't walk away from someone who's going to pay you tens of thousands of dollars to do a project. We, but we had to move towards SaaS. And this gave us a really good chance to change our model from a platform fee and services fee business to being a paper response. So, you know, our key metric is responses coming through. And we know that if we're getting responses and their quality, people will pay for them. And we knew that we could interface with these, integrate with these panels and effectively broker that to the user who needs it. And that's been fantastic for us. And we, you know, since we made that, that integration, made that change, we've been able to see you know, huge growth in in our revenues and in our business. You know, our repeat client rate's fantastic. People come back uh, once they've experienced that workflow for the first time, which is great. And who do you sell to within the enterprise clients? I mean, is it traditional research? Is it brand managers, marketing? Who do you appeal to? It's really funny. So because I'm not a researcher and because I was the guy doing sales for the first few years, the, the insights managers sort of tended not to, sort of tended to turn the noses up. Which you could probably understand. I do, yeah. But the sales guys have got a meeting with Walmart next week. And they've got to take something in that's compelling to get ranged. How are you going to give them that? And they say, well, we can't. And you say, well, okay, so you're not solving the problem. Insight's role has got to be to proliferate the right data through the business. And most of the time, getting nothing is not good enough. So we were selling to rogue, rogue um, actors in the business. So there was like sales directors saying... I've got some money. I've got to try and position this. I need to get these answers. So it was never about the technique. So insights and insights roles have rightly got they use you know people use specific, well thought through techniques to get quality data. But for us, it was always about eighty twenty. So it was about getting something that was good enough rather than trying to get to ninety five percent because that extra fifteen percent is going to cost you a lot of time and money. So yeah. So originally it was these rogue actors who wanted to try and get some answers quickly and they kept coming back and telling all the other guys that they knew that there's this great thing that can get you data now called Glow. Um, but then we invested in the survey side to say, okay, we understand people want matrix questions and max diff and being able to you know, control logic and show which questions and options are hidden and anchor things and all these great things that you'd expect to see in a survey platform. We then built them over the last probably 12 months. And then lots of market research 
users and insights users suddenly turned up. So this is great. And so we're getting, we get pulled, our feature requests get pulled towards much more sophisticated, the sophisticated in the market. And we try and keep our head in the game, which is saying, that's great. We can keep building features, but we're never going to take the platform beyond the sort of seven or eight out of 10 in terms of sophistication. You know, things like conjoint and choice modeling, things like that. We just, it's not for us, at least at the moment, it's not for us. What we need to do is to, I believe the role of insights is to take the, um, you know, to take on the big programs, do them well, use your resources, find ways to capture the other questions that the business is asking, and then serve them with the information they need um, as best you can. And the, the toolkit we've, we've built does that. I think it, it gives you the opportunity to create surveys, to share links of, for the data with people like salespeople or people in brand or whatever, so they can actually look at the numbers. They don't need the stats. You know, most of us can understand a percentage. There's a lot of power in a percentage. You know, there's some basic concepts that insights needs to be able to impart on the business, like you know, margins of error and things like that, so that people don't make mistakes or make big decisions that aren't adequately adequately supported by data. That's interesting. So it sounds like the primary, at least your original use case, was really helping the sales organizations help retailers understand their customers, potentially sell, you know, I don't know if you do shelf assortments or anything related to what's going on in retail, you know, with the slant of, or I should say, with the axis of what customers think within that retailer. Very much for the customer focus, yeah. Yeah, okay. I could see that to be a very powerful application. And you probably run into companies that traditionally are in retail, work with retailers. So Nielsen, IRI, NPD to a certain extent. So how do you fit in that world, you know, when you think about those players? And I know you've been working on something exciting and obviously it validates your use case tremendously, but I'd love to hear that. Yeah, and I think this is important because there's lots of great data that's pulled through those data providers which measure sales and yeah, the POS data. Yeah, which tell you what's happening. So it's great empirical data around what, what is actually going on, the behavior of consumers, but it doesn't really answer the why. Uh, it doesn't answer why people are making decisions they're making. It doesn't let you quickly interrogate and ask more questions around it. And on a follow-your-nose basis, which I believe is a really good way to execute research, or a very agile approach. So ask questions, get answers. For people like... Uh, Nielsen, and you know, proud to say that we've just signed a partnership with Nielsen in the US. Um, people like Nielsen, it's really hard for them to be able to quickly provide answers to customers, but they know that the, the customers have those answers. You know, we sat down with Nielsen and said, well, how quickly can you, you know, if a customer comes to you and says, I need, some, I need to run a project, I need to get some data, and they've got a great solutions team who can do that using their home scan panel, which again is fully attributed and has got masses of value in it. The speed to turn that around and the gaps um, that can be filled with panel were clear. In their case, often that would take weeks, but with Glow, that would take days. And it's quite complementary. I think there's this notion of data literacy that's really important. You speak to it from a guardianship perspective that, you know, we, people who get data and understand it at times assume everybody gets it and understands it. And I think there's a real role and importance in making sure that as we democratize insights and make data more available, that we also hand in hand provide understanding and, you know, 
knowledge of how to interpret the data and put it into context and to your point challenge it but have some context especially now when you think about the world and you know misinformation and real news this is the core right this is the data that the data is critical to that and how do you interpret and and put context around it so i believe that's going to be the next thing that we're going to see is you know with a younger generation helping them understand data be more data literate Yes. And being part of it as a, an insights professional means sitting there, taking the time to almost to field the questions that come to you put the data on the table. It's to be able to say, well, does this say this? Does this mean this? And, and field the hypotheses and develop the next set of questions that are going to come out of this. That's the role. And a lot of people talk about coming into research through, you know, when you go to a research convention, it's hilarious because everyone says, I don't know how I got here. Most people, there aren't that many people who are career researchers who use a Right, I know. <laughs> That's so true. Although I've met a few during this whole podcast thing. Like, there's some people who are like, I knew I wanted to do research. But to your point, it's very small percentage that I've met. That's right. It draws curious minds. It draws people who want to ask questions. And what we need to do is take that to the next level. So that's great. Let's have the curiosity. But let's bring that curiosity to others. Let's allow, you know, let's change what I used to see a lot of really intelligent people who are fantastic with data sat in the corner of the room tapping into a spreadsheet. And that's fine. And, you know, seeing, talking to people is not everyone's cup of tea, as they say, in the UK. But being able to say, really, if you start to provide data in a more engaging format to the boardroom, guess what? The boardroom's going to invite you to the table to explain what's going on. And if we want to sit at the top table, if we want the, the you know, business leaders and political leaders and leaders of tomorrow to be taking data seriously, we need to take them on a journey. And the way we're going to do that is by engaging them with data. Yeah, I love it. So I have two other questions. So data quality, hot topic. Yes. How does that um, play a part in, your, in the world of Glow? Data quality is something that we, when we manage projects for our clients, We'll, we'll be accountable for it. So we're responsible for looking at data quality, looking for you know, all the classic things, especially when you're looking at panel, online panels, you're looking for you know, speeders and things that would allow you to identify issues with data quality. And we're building, investing, actively investing in tools that help identify that. So looking at distributions of response times and things like that, which will flag automatically potential issues. You can already go through and in Glow, you can remove responses that, look like they're a bit dodgy, suspect, that's right. We've looked to also our supply partners because as a supplier, any global supplier can register with Glow and then become available on the platform to users. So you can jump in and say, I want to go and talk to Donator. I want to go and use Donator panel to go and target this group or I want to go and target you know, Scent or Pure Spectrum or others. I can actually go and pick my partner. One thing we do differently is we, we don't try and hide them away from you. We say, go and develop a relationship with Donator, go and develop a relationship with Scent or Pure Spectrum or Lucid or whoever it is you want to go and develop that relationship with because their project managers will help you make sure if you're doing something important that you're getting the data that you want. Our job is to help you pull that data in a consistent way around a project that we can collaborate on, make sure that meta structure of the data is right, make it available to you so you can inspect it as the data is coming in. You can monitor it. You can start, stop at any time and enable you to share that with other people and publish it if you want. Go and tell the world about it if you want to. So we allow by allowing or facilitating a conversation directly with suppliers. I love it. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And hopefully 
I will see you in person at one of these conferences in the near future. It'll be great when we can travel again. Yeah, if anything, that otherwise we'll just have to do another Zoom call. We'll definitely do something. I'll be in the States soon. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Now more than ever, there's nothing like in-person research to deliver the voice and the views of the consumer. Face-to-Face delivers on empathy, captures nuanced body language, and creates personal connections that can be explored further. All focus group facilities are committed to safe and socially distanced protocols to keep our teams, our clients, and our participants safe. People are engaged and excited to share new emotions, new buying patterns, and new ways that they're seeing the world. Clients need this deep insight to make the best possible decisions at this critical time. We're here, we're focused, and we're ready. For in-person research, it's time to embrace the research space. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.